0: Welcome to episode 123 of the 1099 for the week of December 11th, 2017. I'm your host, Josiah Renaudin, and with me today is a video host for IGN, a games jury member for the BAFTAs, and a former freelancer for Sky News, BBC Radio, and a bunch more, Alicia Judge. Wait, real quick. This is important. Is it Alicia? (laughs) Is it Alicia Judge? Is that right?
1: it's no one can ever get it right it's alicia judge but do you know what it's got so many syllables to it i'll just i'll answer to whatever version
0: i'm going to say it wrong about seven times <laughs> in this own podcast i i literally so every time before i talk to someone who has a let's say complicated name um i will look up a youtube video of themselves saying it as well oh, someone else smart. saying it. and I, there's a video of you when you were first on like the first ign uk podcast and you pronounce it and then the host pronounces it wrong. And then yep, he yep. pronounces it right afterward. And I kept watching like, now I'm just confused. Now I'm in this weird <laughs> Alicia, Alicia.
1: Which one is it? I think it is, I need to get better at just like correcting people on the spot. But for some reason, I think I'm so British. It just feels incredibly <laughs> rude to I, be like, excuse me, sir. No, that, that's, that's not how you pronounce it. The exact
0: I just, same just carry thing, on with your day. Uh, there is still someone I work with at my full-time job who calls me Joshua. And oh. I'm three and a half years in. So it's just like you get to a certain point where you're like, I don't. I think I messed up. I fucked up not correcting you at the start of this. Now it's my fault. <laughs> like, now I can't <laughs> fix it. And now I'm just going to be Joshua, which is my least favorite mispronunciation of my name. It's like you just see the J-O and you're like, oh, well, I'm just going to go with Joshua and be lazy for the rest of this.
1: Uh, <laughs> I love uh, how this has turned into victim blaming. <laughs> it's, I,
0: that's kind of what it's become, sadly, where I'm just like, oh, it's my <laughs> fault that I'm Joshua right now. I, really quick, does this still feel weird? having someone call you the video host of IGN I'm just talking before about being on IGN podcast because I think we're similar ages you graduate in 2013 I graduate college in 2014 and I, I know every single time I saw myself on like the first time I was on the front page of IGN you're like whoa and the first time you see your reviews on GameSpot it was like oh my god I'm yeah. now alongside these people who are way better than me at all this stuff I've no idea why I'm here <laughs> is it still kind of surreal for you
1: I mean, totally. I think with anything like uh, my career was very much leading up to IGN. All, all of the decisions that I made uh, from the moment that I decided that I wanted to be like a video games journalist were all leading up to IGN essentially. So when I first got there, and even now, you have to have moments where you kind of pinch yourself like I Mm -hmm. I went to San Francisco for the first time uh last month to meet like the mothership the main IGN US (laughs) team and I just found myself walking in and it you know I like signed in on the iPad like the beginning like reception that like all like the guests who are like just like the temporary like people are just meant to go and sign in on because I was like I just I don't feel like I have the right to just walk (laughs) through this door and like like I own the place I'll just sign in (laughs) and it's fine like yeah, it's a, it's a weird one, but um it's the great thing about working at IGN is that the people are just so wonderful and it's this huge kind of family. Any sense of imposter syndrome kind of it's, falls away. Games
0: media might have the strongest group of people with imposter syndrome. We're like everyone I talk to is almost always saying, "How did I end up here? Or, how am I writing alongside of this person and how did all this happen?" which Totally. Good and bad, I guess it keeps you humble, but then eventually you might to get to the point where you're like, "You know, I'm pretty good at this stuff.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Just like pat ourselves on the back. I think, you know what? I think it's a a mixture of things like, you know, we're a creative industry and I think that Mm. creative people are prone to existential crises. Um, And also just the fact that our industry is so young, you know, like, These when you have a young industry, ultimately, there is no set ground rules that have already been established. Like people are laying the tracks. As they go. It's kind of like, you know, um, the Tom and Jerry cartoon of the runaway train and they're like laying the tracks. Oh, as yeah. It like speeds along. <laughs> I feel like that's kind of like the games industry. And in games media, it's the same. Like, you know, we're always speeding for the next game that's coming out, the next deadline, the next big um, kind of innovation. And so, of course, when you're constantly kind of trying to make ends meet, you might turn around and go, "I've got no idea what I'm doing. So, <laughs> why would anyone have any faith in me?" Yeah, that's, and- just, that's the nature of my job
0: the way we're talking about games too is changing as we're going similar to that tom and jerry analogy we're not just racing for the next big release or uh review cycle we're also all right how are we writing reviews are we switch doing reviewers tilt is it a math equation are we doing it creatively where someone's going on a 1000 word rant about this one aspect of a game instead of the entire game so it's not just the games we're covering we're just kind of switching up i mean i've talked about austin walker on this podcast way too much uh, for someone who I've only talked to like once he's probably like what is this guy doing but it, <laughs> when you read his stuff like the first time I'd read some of his reviews or features it'd be like oh no one's really doing this yet like no one's writing exactly like this yet so it, it's we're thankfully shifting in this way where we're talking about games differently as games are evolving the writing's evolving but also there has to be that this that crazy catch up with everything that's coming out especially since every single day there's 18 new steam releases and train simulator releases and all this stuff at once
1: Totally. It's it's really funny that you bring it up actually, because it's something that I've I've been working on a piece um that I find it really interesting how we talk about video games um and how it differs to other creative pursuits like say film, um where when you talk about a film, you talk about it as its genre. You know, you say, Oh, I would just watched an action movie or I watched like a comedy or I watched a horror. Um Whereas we always talk about video games as platforms. So you're like, oh, you know, I just played this uh, dungeon crawler on the PlayStation 4 or mm-hmm. this, you know, first person shooter or like whatever. And the thing is, like those games, like they're going to th- th- it seems like actually a really mad way to talk about something because two first person shooters can be completely different. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, you can have something crazy Call of Duty or you can have something like a first person shooter could technically be like a really noodly kind of indie game where actually what you're shooting is like you know like, like Dishonored it can be counted as like a first person shooter. Yeah, like, like
0: different st- well if you even look at um, Wolfenstein and Doom which is not the same developer but the same publisher are wildly mm, different shooters.
1: Totally whereas like you look at so if we talked about games as how they made us feel we'd have a much better sense of actually what we're what we're discussing but instead we talk about them like their products which yeah. absolutely makes sense because video games came of age and kind of like the 70s 80s as kind of you know coin up arcade machines that were put in bars to just drive sales to like the guys who are like hanging out and stuff and like you know just kind of like money making machines that's how they were invented and then they came of age in like synonymous with tech culture and startup culture and you find as media we've talked about games in the same language that we would use to discuss tech startups so you know we talk about uh scalability and like how much a you know studio is growing and like you know we'll talk about um how much money they've made and like you know what they've pulled in and like their business approaches and stuff and like you know all of that ties up this kind of language around games. That's very much more focused on them as a product. Yeah. Um, and then we kind of lose what we see in, in film and cinema and stuff like that, or, or like books and like other entertainment media where we talk about them as entertainment, not just products. Yeah. And no, I'm, I'm still working through it in my head, but, um, I just think it's it's a really interesting thing that we are starting to see shifting, especially at the end of the year with we've got all of the game awards and stuff coming out at the moment. And you're seeing, you know, more categories that aren't just best PlayStation 4 game and are more like um, I've seen best action adventure game and stuff like that. And uh, that's really heartening to see. But I don't know it's an interesting one.
0: Even at the Game Awards, I think there was like Best Game for Change or something like that. that Hellblade won, Which is awesome, which is what we should go. And hopefully we aren't going to sink back into looking at them like products. You look at Battlefront 2, which is essentially a slot machine. And you you look at other things that have microtransactions. And I think that could put us back at risk at looking at games as products. I know talking, when I used to write for Kevin Van Nord, he'd always say he hated the word title for a game. Just because he's like, ah, it's just this weird it it kind of takes what you were talking about out of it, The how you make it, how it makes us feel and makes it sound more like this product that you're paying a service for. Like I'm paying a service to have fun instead of I am buying this quote unquote piece of art to maybe think about something I haven't thought about before or experience Mm. something that'll remind me of something about myself. I mean, when you have games like, Firewatch. You can't look at that as, oh, it's this product that I'm having fun with. It's not really what that's about. it It's a story similar to a book or a movie and stuff like yeah. that. So yeah, I think the way we discuss these things, thankfully, as we're progressing as an industry and as games are becoming more interesting where you can talk about things we haven't talked about before and go in different directions, we'll be able to discuss games differently. That's always been my hope is that as games evolve, we have to have the writing evolve too. We can't write the exact same types of reviews that we did about, you know, a PlayStation 1 game that we do about some of the yeah. crazy stuff that's coming out now that goes in directions that's just wonderful but different. So you have yeah. to evolve in that way.
1: I completely agree. And one of the things that I find really interesting about the way that games reviews are evolving is that, um, I mean, you see it on IGN sometimes that uh, someone will write a review. Say it's Lucy O'Brien in Australia. She'll write a review of a game and reviews are inherently personal, you know? Like if you... Mm -hmm you should really find like a game critic who you really identify with and follow their work. If if you've, you've read lots of their work before and have liked the games that they've said are good, then you're probably quite aligned. Um, and, but what tends to happen is a reviewer will talk about their very personal experience with a game because playing a game is really personal and you'll bring your own kind of um, background experiences and perceptions and things, and you'll see things that other people might not see or like you'll play it in a certain way and if a reviewer writes really personally about that, the comments can be quite negative. Like we'll just, you know, talk through the mechanics like, oh, well, that's just your experience. And, you know, um, or oh, well, you're not really a real gamer because you didn't do X or like, <sighs> you know, it becomes really like actually sometimes the it feels like the audience really calling out for reviews that can be very mechanics focused. You know, just tell me how good the graphics are. Just tell me like what you do and where you go and like leave it at that. But actually, like, fundamentally, if you look at any form of review, um, since reviews were invented, like, however many years ago across, like, all different industries, whether it's Mm -hmm. for a toaster or or an art (laughs) exhibition or whatever. I
0: want to know who the market is. Like, who is actively looking up toaster (laughs) reviews? Is there actually a toasterspot.com that people are just like, oh, man, what's this week's best toaster?
1: And there's just someone in the comment section of that toaster review going, oh, excuse me, I don't want to know about your personal experience of the <laughs> type of bread that you This is not an objective
0: toaster review. Just- I do not. <laughs> I only want objective toaster reviews.
1: Just tell me how you turned the on button, and that, that's all I want to know. That is, but like-
0: <laughs> it's one of the weirdest things that people, and I've seen that before, where people really want to know, like, what does the X button do? How do you, like... Are we really at a point where you want to read a review so you can see the controls? Like, if you press the start button or if you, like, you can Google what the controls do. Like, that's not the point of reviews And my, you mentioned before you find a reviewer who you like and you maybe agree with or you disagree with, but you like the way they talk about games. People do yeah. that now with Patreon when they're, they're supporting people like kind of funny, like no clips, like cloth map, who they like and they get their personality in that. But when you do that in a review, People kind of bark back because that's not what we're used to we're used to back in the day. it almost felt like reviews were objective where it's the gameplay is bad, this is good, the graphics suck the, this is the and, and now, when people want to go in a different direction you're getting exactly what you're what you're talking about with these toaster reviews where people are just <laughs> like oh i don't like this what just tell me what this does. Tell me if the game looks good, but we, there's so much yeah. video out there uh before Remember when we were growing up, you'd get a magazine, you'd get a, well, like a Game Pro or a Game Informer, and you'd see screenshots, and you'd read the review, and that's pretty much all you saw about the game. There wasn't that much video yeah. you know, out there of it, so you kind of did want these certain things ascribed to you, but now you're getting these long video reviews that show chunks of the game while the person's talking. I, I can let you know if I think that game looks good. If the frame rate's bad, it's it spots, let me know, but I can, I know what that game, you can look at a game and see kind of what it feels like, you can see if the graphics are good. It's the other stuff I want.
1: Yeah, you want to go deeper. You want to know, like, you know, how this particular game deals with, you know, stuff, say, a particular theme that we've seen a lot in recent games, uh, or like a particular kind of thing in pop culture, or how it's making, you know, adding to a conversation that's wider in the industry. Like, I think more reviews need to kind of delve into that because it's not saying that the whole review has to be that. And obviously, there's a place for the discussion of mechanics because you have to, like, still say, whether, you know, there are bugs or like whether it's fun to play, like the basics of stuff like that. Yeah. But I always think, you know, just a couple of paragraphs of something wider and more interesting. It is. I just find it really interesting that there can be such a an angry response from um, an audience when they kind of feel like, I don't know, that a reviewer is kind of overstepping their boundary, that it's like, you know going too far almost
0: and who set up like a reviewer's boundaries it's so bizarre though you're right as someone who's reviewed for reviewed a major sites for a long time and you you see yeah. those comments people feel like you're overstepping when you go in a specific direction, but I, I just don't understand that. It, I mean, if, if you, if you go in a specific direction that they agree with, if you start talking glowingly yeah, about a game so in a cute. unique way that they like, and they're like, Oh, this person's great. But it's the second yeah. you go against their opinion where they're like, eh, this should be more objective.
1: Absolutely. And I, I do wonder whether like it is worth mentioning that um, there is a degree of echo chamber here. Mm-hmm. Like it's something that Daniel Creeper at IGN often says to me. Um, and it's, it's very true. that you can have so say say at ign uh you get let's just say for the sake of argument hundred thousand views on a video say it's your video review um and you might get like a thousand comments and in those thousand comments there might be a hundred negative ones mm-hmm. that's still like you know a hundred negative comments out of a hundred thousand views is tiny yeah. if you're looking at that like statistically if this this was like some sort of experiment like you'd kind of look at that 100 and go well that's just you know that's too much of a small fraction like we're discounting them like they have no value but when um when it comes to like you being the writer and that creator of that content you look through that criticism and, and of course it's gonna like it's gonna really sting and it sticks with you and and I wonder whether sometimes we place too much credence on um that kind of criticism i know i personally can we absolutely Uh, do
0: yeah and it's a bummer because i do feel like there are nice good people who write comments that are worth reading and responding to and can make you feel great uh i've had a lot of stuff on reddit about the podcast or on twitter and i know um, jake baldino who does game ranks he's been on this podcast a lot and he he reads almost all of the comments for game ranks videos and those get over a million views each so god bless him i have no idea how he does it and there's a lot of good stuff there but i'll it is those 100 of the 100,000 views that could ruin your day. Yeah, um,
1: totally. Which
0: is a bummer that we let it get to us because I could tell you right now, I've never met anyone who is cool and also actively writes negative – reviews or negative comments on youtube videos
1: yeah totally and, and the irony of it all is that you because they're faceless yeah.
0: um
1: you know you can kind of imprint that the person or, or infer that the person on the other side of the the keyboard that's typing that you can project this kind of image of someone that you respect mm. whereas actually the sort of person who writes such colorful negative comments <laughs> is probably not the sort of person whose opinion you care for in real life
0: that person's uh, not a good hang. Like, you, you don't no. want to chill with that person and grab a beer.
1: Exactly. Definitely not. But, um, no, I mean, my personal attitude to it is that actually the people who I create content for, just personally speaking for IGN, are, you know, it's like the, it's the people who never comment, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's the people who, because I don't know about you. But I actually can't remember the last time I left a comment on a YouTube video that wasn't, like, a response to someone else's online. Like, you know, yeah. when I actually was watching a video completely separate from IGN and I left a comment for good or bad. Like, I just I don't tend to do it. And what I'll do instead is I might share that video and, like, send it to someone or I'll just subscribe to that channel and just carry on watching their stuff. Like, i show my appreciation by just coming back day after day. And, and that's the people who I make videos for on IGN, the people who just... Every week they come back and they check what's new on the site. They'll uh, silently, you know, just watch and appreciate and be entertained and come back again. And and that's how they kind of say thanks, I guess.
0: It's so funny. I've never really thought of that. But I've never, I maybe left one comment on YouTube in my entire life. But there are these channels that I love like there's there's certain youtube channels and certain videos that you get from people you're like man this is a part of my routine maybe daily or weekly and if that channel suddenly disappeared you'd be like oh this sucks like this is a big part for me but that person has Mm -hmm. no idea in the same way if someone's watching one of your videos or listens to one of your podcasts every single week they might not say anything to you because they don't leave comments like a crazy person but they (laughs) they value that thing so much i had someone I think this podcast has been going on for almost two years, and I had someone DM me basically the other day saying, oh, I've listened to all these since the start. just want to say thank you. And there's this person who's thank out you. there who I've never – I have no idea who they are, and I never knew that they've listened to all 100 and something episodes of this podcast. But that you're mm-hmm. right. That's the person you should be creating content for, the person who would be bummed if suddenly your channel yeah. went
1: away. Totally. Shout out to that person. Hey, yeah, a great yeah. episode Thank one, you. two, three, represents.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you mentioned earlier that everything has kind of led up to IGN. You were kind of working toward that goal. And again, because we're around the same age, I'm assuming as you're coming up through high school or college and you're trying to freelance and do different things like that, mm-hmm. the industry was shifting around us where...
1: Yeah, I, totally. had
0: a, I have a journalism degree, and the goal was always like, oh, I'm going to write full-time for a GameSpot or an IGN or a Game Informer, and I'm going to write reviews and do previews and news because that's what you always thought it would be. But as we were going through high school and college, YouTube becomes bigger, Twitch becomes bigger, the, the podcasts become bigger, personality in games became bigger. So for you, a lot of people ask me all the time, how do I write for a game site? And my advice now mm-hmm. is hard because when I was trying to do it, it was different. Did you see the change happening and suddenly realize I need to get into hosting, presenting video and podcasting or that happened more naturally?
1: Yeah. I mean, it was all kind of an accident, but I mean, you're completely right. I definitely saw the shift coming. Um, I mean, I, my first kind of break into the industry was, um, ironically, I worked at a cocktail bar at university and, uh, a guy who worked with me, left to move down to bath and uh get a job at official playstation magazine and at the time like i was editing my student paper and i was like oh this you know i've always been a gamer i'd love to get some experience at uh, official playstation so went down and worked for a week and then that completely fired up my interest of like wow i can combine these two passions of writing and video games great but that was obviously a print magazine and um That's kind of what I pursued because it was, you know, that had been my in and um, then I had a job lined up with them. And then when I left university, obviously, like things weren't going that well for print and they weren't hiring. And so I kind of I went into tech journalism for a little while because I was kind of like, well, if you can, you know, if I can analyze the specs of a PlayStation 4, then I can analyze the innards of a smartphone. So. (sighs) it was kind of like a logical transition. But um, yeah, I I kind of fell into video by accident because I was doing an interview with um, one of the guys who worked on Candy Crush. He's a guy called Tommy Palm. He now runs um, a virtual reality studio called Resolution Games. But um, funnily enough, he'd just come off stage from a fireside chat. And all of the questions I was going to ask him, he was asked on stage. And I had my interview with him straight after. you know, and you're just like, right. Great, I'm just gonna <laughs> whoo, like let's just pull out the big guns and we'll wing this and like see how it goes. And um at the end of my interview with him, he was like, Hey, I, I really enjoyed our chats. Um can I ask, have you ever done video presenting before? And I said, No, uh, not at all. And he was like, That's okay. Do you want to move to Sweden and set up a YouTube channel for me? Um oh I've I've got a load I've got twenty developers who I'm bringing to the woods in the middle of Sweden, it's for an accelerator called Sturgen and uh, we've, yeah, we've just need someone to run a YouTube channel and tell the story of these developers for two months. And I was like, are you sure? <laughs> like, because I, I, I didn't know how to do them video things and he was like, we'll just work it out as we go. So I rock up in the middle of Sweden, like, pack in everything, oh set God. up my first camera shots. And then I'm looking for the I'm given this lovely DSLR and I'm looking for the brightness button and I have to like turn around to like one of the developers. I'm thinking, hey, where's the brightness? And this guy's like, do you know about Aperture? And I'm like, Apple, what? (laughs) (laughs) It's just a complete baptism of fire. So video and presenting was very much accidental, very much self-taught kind of on the fly. But um, it, it all just worked out amazingly. And that was one of the best two months of my life. And it gave me a portfolio for which I could apply to IGN with
0: oh my, I've, that is the most unique story of how you got to IGN. Like That's the most unique games <laughs> media story I've ever heard. I had no idea. That's crazy. And I, I was going to ask you if there was ever a moment when you were freelancing where you were worried the full-time job wouldn't happen. But I bet at that point you had no idea what would happen because you randomly went to Sweden for two months out of nowhere. So at that point <laughs> yeah. you're like, I could be in Japan in a day. Who knows? Someone might just fly me out. I mean, just being serious though, was there a moment while you were – Doing freelance and putting together a portfolio where you saw the landscape and you knew the skills you had, and just kind of had the oh man, maybe these jobs aren't as readily available as I first thought when I was trying to do this. Oh,
1: God, totally. I mean, when I first moved to London, London's an expensive city, and I moved here uh, with like starting a job uh, on like Monday, really low paid, intern work. I was on 13 grand a year, um, which is like Oh yeah. barely enough to live on so like started on monday on saturday i was like still house hunting going like why <laughs> why have i chosen this career for myself i was a good student in school i got good grades i could have gone to law school and here i am <laughs> living out of cardboard box and like that you know that's the there's so many stories like that in any any career that's worthwhile is worth fighting for and um it's just about surrounding yourself with people who push you, and who, when you turn around and go, "Oh man, like I'm having such a low day, and this is really tough, and like I'm not seeing opportunity," they turn around and they say to you, "Well, like, you know, create opportunity because you're good enough," and they, you know, and they pick you up, and um, yeah, I just I think that's really important, especially in an in industry like ours that also changes so rapidly. You know, you've got to be willing to take that you know, random chance that drops into your life uh, and kind of, and just sees it.
0: Yeah. And because your goal initially wasn't really to do like on camera stuff. And like you said, you're like, how do I no. make this brighter? How long did it take for you to not just get comfortable in front of the camera, but remove all of the ums, likes, and you knows, from speech? <laughs> especially when you're doing really tight produced stuff? I mean, anyone who listens to this podcast knows I say like too much, and I've done a hundred of these, yeah. and it just doesn't go oh, I'm away. It's, it, it's off the cuff stuff. You're, you're having a conversation with someone. In this case, we just met, you know, thirty minutes ago. So you just yeah, you, you, you just end up talking, and you, you the likes, the ums, the the sort of vocal peccadilloes are coming out like that for you when you're trying to do these tight IGN videos. Did that take mm. a while to remove those sort of vocal or you know verbal
1: inconsistencies? Oh, totally. I'm still removing them. I mean, sometimes, you know, also, even when I do like scripts that I've written and I like pre recorded and I'm in the VO booth and stuff, I like, sometimes I think we should just release like the completely unedited like <laughs> VO run. Because like, something that's meant to be a five minute script, I'll be in the VO booth for, like 15 minutes saying lines over and over and over again. And our poor producer is the one who has to like get rid of all of the <laughs> Sound that I make. Is
0: that your vocal um, warm-up? Did you just reveal that to the world?
1: Just going sounding like I've got a really bad cough. Um No, I mean, yeah, I, I still have those verbal tics and things. And like, you know, I mean, I one thing that I was really aware of at the start of this year was that I I upward inflect a lot, like I just did then. Where I I always go up at the end of a sentence. Um and I don't really know why that is. And it's that thing of when you listen to your voice over and over you become aware of things that you do and suddenly go, is that a good thing? I don't know. Should I <laughs> start questioning yeah. things you've been doing your entire life? Exactly. This massive crisis of like, and then sometimes I think you've just got to, I mean, this is so this is easier said than done. And it's something that um, I'm still learning how to do. But when you're on camera um, or, you know, presenting a podcast or anything, um, I think you've just got to be really kind to yourself because yeah, like the comments aren't always going to be kind. Um, and it's also really fair to say to yourself that like you're just human, you're just a normal person who is doing a job of something they really really love talking about something they're really passionate about, and so what if you're not always polished like and so what if not everyone is gonna like you um and so what if you know you do up with inflect or you say like a little bit or you pause a lot? That's what people do in everyday life, and yeah, it's important to be professional, but I also think it's important to be real and um yeah, I'm definitely trying to remember that a little bit more because God, that's sometimes hard to put into practice.
0: <laughs> well, if you're coming up as a writer, you a lot of writers have that perfectionist mindset, right? Where you're you're pouring over your own work, you're editing it, you're trying to get it down to the best it can be. And when you take that mindset over to video or podcasting, I know initially. I would delete a lot of my likes when I'm editing my podcast. Yeah. I would not maybe not do it as much for the guest. I'm sorry guest. I guess maybe I was thinking a little bit <laughs> more about like I don't want to sound like an idiot. But the the longer you do this, I think it's helpful to listen to yourself. I always listen to these and I'm assuming you listen to yourself all the time where mm. you do understand certain nuances of what you do and maybe you you look at, oh, I can improve by doing this more, trying this more and I think that is important but you're right. You can't be a perfectionist with your speech in that way yeah. or you're going to sound like a robot uh and you're going to overthink everything you need to be off the cuff yeah. sometimes not in a crazy way so you're like rambling or saying awful things but you, you need to be casual like real life is casual you need to leave some of those likes ums and stuff like that in there if that's how you yes, talk
1: totally.
0: you can't just you can't be this perfect person who's able to present in the way you've always wanted to you build to that but you have to know along the way you're going to have a little bit of struggles
1: Totally. I mean, I think of, like, the presenters that I've loved growing up. Like, in the UK, we've got these two presenters uh, called Ant and Dec. And mm-hmm. the reason why they're so popular is because they're just two best mates who uh, have been presenting for the majority of their life. And, like, they're just really authentically them. And they sometimes mess up. And uh, and they can they can be, like, really, you know, they do the whole professional looking down the teleprompter, saying the things, introducing a show or whatever. But then they also goof off and, like, are a bit silly and, like, um, yeah, I think it's really easy to put pressure on yourself and to kind of think about what you're saying a lot before it comes out of your mouth. And that's very important to do. But if you do it too much, you kind of neuter yourself. And yeah. I, I think people distrust that, you know, especially in video games where, you know, we're kind of one of the pioneers of YouTuber culture. And the reason YouTuber culture is so popular is because people feel like they really know the person on the other end of the camera. So it's just it's important to be yourself. Um while also knowing yourself, <laughs> really yeah, one
0: hundred percent. But it does make you value. You mentioned before, like you have these presenters you really like, the people who can be themselves, but also barely have any pausing. They don't say you know and like and stuff yeah. like that. When I hear those people, I my brain explodes. Like, how do you how do you yeah. do that? How do you do these three hour like any sort of giant bombcast where I'm listening to this? Yeah. Like, how do you do these three hour podcasts? And keep the conversation interesting and funny, and also not Ooh. randomly throw in all of these things. I mean, I've had uh Jeff Kurzman on here, and it took everything. I was trying so hard to not just gush about certain stuff like that. <laughs> uh, I think people appreciate it, but there's also the level of like, all right, dude, you need to chill out. But there's definitely these moments <laughs> where I'm talking to these people, and I'm like, how do you, how do you do this? I don't. I could do a thousand of these and still have weird vocal things that annoy me. It's it's amazing. A really good presenter. A really clean and uh polished presenter maybe the, the personality isn't there as much but if you yeah. can be like that i'm so envious of people who are able to get through stuff like that
1: totally totally like i, I just think that the, the best presenters are the sort of people that you'd want to hang out with at a party yes. or like go for a drink with you know the the quality of a good presenter is the same person who can command a room a mixer, you know, who can sit in a group of six people and make each of those six people feel like you're talking only to them. Yep. Um, it's a really special social skill. And you're just magnifying it down a camera lens.
0: These people definitely don't comment on YouTube videos because we already established that they're not yes. a good hang. It's the people who are at parties who actually seem cool and you want to talk to. I've definitely had this podcast I know has made me better at talking to new people. It's like just stuff like this is easier to socialize because you're in these situations. Mm. I, I, maybe people don't know. It is weird how all these podcasts start with just me calling you or the the guest calling me and suddenly it's like, all right, we're meeting each other for the first time. Now we need to have an hour-long yeah. conversation about video games. How is this going to happen? It's 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 a weird problem to kind of solve as you're going yeah. because you're talking to someone. You're like, okay, what's what's your pausing like? Because we're, we're on a Skype call. I'm not seeing you. So I, I need to guess when you're done talking. You need to guess when I'm done talking. It's a weird puzzle to solve. Uh, totally. But it's super fun. I think it just makes you – I'm guessing, as someone like you who's podcasted, it makes you just better at talking to people.
1: Yeah, completely. I just being able to—it's turning small talk into big talk, isn't it? Like, yeah. you know, we we went from "Hey, how's it going?" "Sorry, I missed your message." Like, to like straight into right. Let's talk about the games industry and like magnified <laughs> about up. view
0: culture and why comments are bad. <laughs> yeah. yeah, going from that to like, hey, how do I pronounce your name? Like, every <laughs> podcast just do that, and that's—I think—that's one of the most valuable things. That's why I'm always like, people should. Try podcasting more, even if people Ooh. even if you don't have this massive number of downloads, I think the value you can get just for yourself, even if people aren't listening is super important
1: yeah totally i mean i'm I'm really lucky um in that i've I've talked to my boyfriend a lot about podcasts in particular actually because I think they're they're a particularly interesting part of the industry because it's you know it's such a stripped back version of you people are only hearing your voice and kind of like. Um, how you make things entertaining and informative and like the pacey and uh he's really he really really sweetly was like should we just practice should we practice podcasting <laughs> so we both we both played firewatch and then just sat on like a bed and just like talked about firewatch for an hour and just did like this mock podcast of like practice so, like, like, I'm, a, I'm a host idea like this is my job and i'm like still like you know sat practicing at home with like a phone and stuff like I don't, I don't think any of this ever becomes like truly easy but um it's yeah I think everyone should absolutely if I can if I can pick up and do like a phone like podcast with my boyfriend then anyone can yeah
0: thousand percent And even i remember when i started doing this i was like even if 10 people listen every single week i could there are more than 10 people who listen thankfully for those who are asking right now even <laughs> if it was just 10 I'd be like, i think it's still worth it for the conversation to get better at this and hopefully to talk to people who you really appreciate and whose work you really liked and you, you mentioned before taking small talk to big talk mm. uh this is a little bit of a tangent but something i wonder and i try not to ask every single woman in games the question about like is it mm. more inviting in the industry now but I can only observe so much because I'm a straight white dude who I only get the normal amount of shit thrown at me online for doing podcasts, reviews, and stuff like that. At at this point, since you started, do you feel like as an industry, we are making strides toward creating a more inviting, receptive environment for women in games? There's always going to be that 1% of annoying commenters who are just going to discount whatever you do because you're a woman they think that you don't play video games. But just as an industry, uh, are we making a great enough effort to feature strong female voices in games, not from the comment side, but just from the actual Mm. media side.
1: Totally. That's such an important question and such a big question. Um, yeah, I do think we are like when I, uh, go to sites and, and kind of see coverage, like we are seeing more women in, um, prominent roles, uh, you know whether it's hosting a, a show like you know a lot of peers hosting the Daily Fix or um, you know from podcast guests like I know like you personally you were like giving putting out a shout for like yeah let's get like more women on the show and stuff and I think I think content creators are a lot more aware of just you know diversity and trying to have different voices. Um, be more vocal. Um and yeah, like you're right. This it's completely separate from commenters because that culture is always going to exist. And like I said earlier, um any kind of like the, the sexist kind of misogynist comments and stuff I do think are a vocal minority. Um mm. but yeah, no, I, I definitely personally feel like the industry is getting better. It's still not like perfect and it's not there. And and I still have experienced um misogynistic attitudes from like people working within the industry it's not just kind of common to, what's what's quite what I find is the most common thing is um to be talked over that have quite a lot of you know you're in a meeting and or you're like you know you're at an event and uh so often I'll start speaking and someone else with a basier deeper voice will just kind of steamroll <laughs> and I just can't compete because <laughs> biologically I don't have the the base but uh but yeah, like in general, um, I'm really encouraged by the amount of amazing women that I've been seeing in the last couple of years really step up onto the stage.
0: It's It was incredible when I did tweet out what you mentioned. When I, I, and I always am. I'm looking for the most interesting people to talk to, you know, from all different sides of the industry. When I put that tweet about, you know, I'd like to have more women on my podcast, just so many interesting people got in contact with me and so many people were suggested to me when I'm like, man, that maybe... I don't think I have a, I would like to think I don't have a blind spot, but maybe I do more than I know where I, I, I just got these incredible people. Like, I never saw this person's work, but this is awesome. I never saw this person's work. And I mean, my, one of my favorite podcasts I've ever done is with, was with Abby Russell from Giant Bomb, where like that conversation oh, yeah. was incredible. Cause it's just, it's nice to have that perspective. I can only show so much from my side. And I, you, you, you can only talk to so many dudes who write about video games for a living before it's like, all right, a lot of this is the same story. Let me talk to the person who, maybe got in this entirely differently, who, uh, who who went an entirely different route because they had to go an entirely different route to get to where they are. Uh, and yeah. I think that's important to kind of share those types of stories. So that's a lot of fun for me.
1: Yeah, it, it's really interesting because as with all of these kind of, I've been seeing more and more of these um, Twitter call-outs being like, you know, give me some women who you really respect in the industry. And then you get like these long, long threads of like all these different names. And it's really heartening. Cause I look at them and, and you know, there are, there are even some names that like I don't know that I'm like, Oh, well, I'd never heard of that person. That's yeah. really cool. And so like I follow and grow and, but um there's also like a part of me that also sometimes because that was there was like a phase where you know i was getting tagged in those every couple of days and yep. part of me also felt like a little bit disheartened and like a, <laughs> oh man like am i just the love like the amount of these and like is it is it patronizing do i feel patronized? That, like, how do i feel about this That was like, my
0: primary concern when i even sent out that tweet myself i'm like is this is this patronizing like is this is this a bad idea and first off it's i should know these people if they're in the industry and there's also this weird side of like is it weird to just do like an exclusive call out like that no i totally know what you mean and again as you being someone who's been tagged a lot of those it has to be even weirder for you
1: it's and it's and it's a thing of like this is totally me not being down on them because I, I think that it's a really really worthwhile to di- thing to do and um you know, absolutely, we should be calling attention to the women who are working really, really hard in this industry. Um, it's just, uh, I guess it's, this is just me outward processing a, a general sense that I've had um, throughout my career where, you know, less so now, now I'm now I'm being invited to do things because I've proved myself. But especially at the beginning, like I'd be invited on panel shows that were just like, you know, panels about women in games and yep. women in tech. And like, you know, that was the only platform that I got to speak was just about the fact that I have ovaries. And actually, I don't ever really use my ovaries in my day-to-day work. <laughs> they definitely don't inform me when I'm doing a review or anything like that. So it just, yeah, I, I remember feeling really like, it's so, it feels so weird that my, it, my gender is the thing that's giving me a platform right now when actually, yeah. like, I've just been working hard to, as just a person working in, in the industry so like i don't know it's i i genuinely think we should carry on doing it i think it's a really really great thing to do but um especially in the wake of everything with like me too and like more of these conversations that we're having about you know gender relations and, and how we uh kind of raise up and support women it's just it's just something that i've got in the back of my mind that i think we also need to be careful to like it's in the little things. It's not just in the big things of let's have a, a conference where we talk about women. Let's not just put out a tweet where we list every woman who's ever done a thing. Let's yeah. just in our day-to-day lives, like follow their work and tweet out, like, hey, I read this really cool article by Kate Gray on um localization. Really, really fascinating. Like, you know, and just and just name. Women when they do good work, not just say "Here's a really interesting piece," leave it at that. Say "Here's an interesting piece by such and such." You contribute to that culture in like much smaller ways that actually I think add up to a much louder voice.
0: I think you're absolutely right, and it has to be frustrating, like you mentioned, where you've you've now put in the work, you've done a lot of great things, but you still get lumped into oh look at her work because she's a woman in games it should just be no read this work or watch this vest because this person's good not just because they're good and a woman and you shouldn't be always highlighted in that same breath and like you mentioned oh i'm gonna be on this panel because about women in games but it it is that it's it's a bizarre thing to juggle because you do we're still in this state to a certain extent hopefully eventually we graduate out of it where there does i think need to be a certain amount of highlighting women in games because I don't know. It, it feels important for the people maybe out there who don't read any women in games. You do want to like, show them that side and show them that, uh, that's absolutely worthwhile to read and support. But you hope we do get to a point where it's not even a conversation where it's just, Hey, this is a great piece. It doesn't matter if it's a, a, a man or a woman who wrote this.
1: Totally. Cause I actually think that one of, one of the arguments that I see most of all, when you write kind of a piece, that's explicitly about gender or a video or whatever um, there's always, you know, people who respond and they're like, you know, oh God, like just playing the woman card, like, da, da, da. And, it, and it's people who just feel really, you know, those are almost the people that would respond better by just, you know, the softer approach. Like that's how we change things at a cultural level, not by kind of whacking people over the head with a message. But I think there's place for both. There absolutely is. There's place for like the carrot and the stick approach, I guess, yeah. in some ways of like, um yeah. It's a tricky one. It's a it really, really tricky, tricky one. It's 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 the reason why we're still having these conversations is because there's no real easy answer. Um, and like we like we said earlier at the beginning of this conversation, of like everyone's making this up as we go, and we're gonna make mistakes, <laughs> um, and we're gonna disagree, and that's okay.
0: Speaking of kind of making things up as we go along, there's a lot of sites out there now, like Waypoint and Paste and Polygon, that are producing these really creative. Personal and interesting features and in games coverage that we've never really had before. We talked before about how games were seen as products, and now we're able to talk about them in new lights. We could talk about the issues of of coming out of politics and games. Uh, I know there was one, a friend of mine, Joseph Newb wrote about how healthcare affects game developers in the U.S. and there's a lot of really interesting stuff like that. And you mentioned before you're working on something about how we talk about video games. Mm. For IGN. Is that something the stuff that Waypoint does, stuff that Pace does, so the Polygon does, is that something you personally would like to explore even more at IGN? And that's not at all to diminish what IGN does. Mm. It is this incredible resource. But I think when people think of IGN, they don't immediately think of the type of features that Waypoint do, either, you know, correctly or incorrectly. Is that something you would like to explore more?
1: Yeah, I mean that that's a really interesting question. And um you know, we're branching, I'm seeing more of those kind of pieces on IGN in terms of like, even if you go down our main YouTube channel, you'll start to see thumbnails that have opinion written on them in bright yellow, and mm-hmm. uh, it'll be someone's written an opinion piece, whether it's on, you know, EA microtransactions or like, you know, a hot new take on a game that's come out or something more wider on an industry level. Um, and I'm, I've am i been really proud of those pieces because, like, I, I agree with you, I do think that... Um, the perception of IGN can be that it's, you know, it's a place to know about the next upcoming game, but not necessarily to talk about games culturally and in a wider sense. Um, But I do, yeah, I do think that's shifting and we are doing more of those pieces. Um, And it'll be, it'll be interesting to see like how that moves into 2018.
0: I know when I was writing for Kevin Van Orr doing freelance reviews, some of those reviews were starting to, more resemble the the pace and the polygon style where we were going mm-hmm. more toward. Let's talk about maybe controversial issues or certain topics that are worth talking about within this review. And that was really heartening. And even yet, yeah, when I wrote at IGN, there was similar stuff. Like I was encouraged to do that, and that was just super cool mm-hmm. to see. Because it's something I do want to talk about before we wrap up is a little bit about IGN misconceptions. We've been talking about comments <laughs> the entire time and how people just assume, you know, that everyone gets angry. Like, oh, IGN hates. Sony or IGN hates Xbox when in reality it's like, well, a lot of the stuff is freelance. There's people who've never even visited the IGN buildings. Yeah. So they have their own, you know, their own opinions about companies that really shouldn't affect the review, but that has nothing to do with IGN as a whole. It's maybe it's a certain writer dislikes these type of games or certain stuff like that. So from your end as someone who does work at IGN, do you think there's a biggest misconception about IGN and its staff? Is everything you see over and over again in the comments or at tweets at you that you're just like man they just have no idea
1: yeah totally i'm so glad you asked this question um <laughs> there's the, the biggest misconception i think that people have is that we're like this huge faceless corporation that like we're um i think because you know we're, we're so big and we've got such a massive reach people think that we're just this really powerful ig and they all sit at their desks and they play their games and like you know talk about xyz and and people tend to trust like a youtuber more because they'll say well you know this is a single person and uh you know there'll be a sense that we're really rich if you work at ign and, and like and that's just it's just not the way at all like um the way that you know i can i can only really speak for ign uk because that's my my biggest uh experience at the company but um We're just, like, a group of nerds. There's, like, you know, seven of us on the editorial team who make content every week, and, you know, we're not in the grand scheme of, like, the games industry. As individuals, we don't have, like, huge reach. You know, like, I've only got, like, 11,000 followers on Twitter. That's just, like, I'm just someone who really is passionate about games. and But what you get in the comments are, like, oh ign you know you've just made this because of like the bottom line and the bottom dollar and like oh look at you like chasing like the publishers and like oh how much money are you getting for this review and like all of this kind of stuff and it's like we'd never ever get paid for a review that's not how ign works like we're we really care about our industry we care about games and we're normal people who are making this content and um yeah like we had a. Uh, a while back there was a bit of a a clash between a guy on IGN UK called Rory Powers and a YouTuber called Stephen Suptic because Rory went to E3 and did like some E3 diary stuff. And it was all very comedy and sketch based. Um, And Stephen Suptic decided uh, or or felt that the style was very similar to his videos. Um, And so he kind of like rallied his YouTube channel up against IGN and like made this witch hunt against Rory. Rory had like 10,000 Twitter followers at, at the time. And I think Stephen Sopcich had like 100,000, 150,000. And he just put the might of his like followers on Rory, saying like, making this kind of David and Goliath thing of like, IGN have like stolen like my IP. They're like, they're copying me. This is disgusting. Like they're, you know, making us into this massive corporation. And it, and it wasn't, it was just... It was just Rory, like, IGN as a company had no say into the videos that he was creating. He he basically, like, he, he him and Dale, one of the producers, just went out and created content that they loved to create and, like, wanted to. And and it was, yeah, it was really frustrating to see this kind of, just not the company that I know. The company that I know are just, like, me and my mates hanging out making videos. Yeah, sorry, that was a very long-winded way of saying no, I... that the...
0: I hate when people sick their their Twitter armies or their YouTube mob on people. I don't understand. Maybe it's some bizarre power move on their end where they know, like, oh, I'm popular so I can do this. But you're right. You're not sicking it on IGN. You're going at a specific person who like, maybe just has 10,000 Twitter followers and is just trying to do their job because they like doing this. And that is that's one of the biggest things I've seen just from freelancing where people assume – this is a Game Informer review or GameSpot review or an IGN thing where it's, there's individual people who work there who aren't just, like you said, nameless, faceless people. We get that more and more with smaller groups like Giant Bomb and Kind of Funny where you know exactly who is doing what because they're kind of front-facing. And it can be harder in an IGN or a GameSpot because of the size, but it's the same thing. There's people who work there who have personalities and do different things, like different games, and they're not just John IGN or Ashley IGN. Like They're, they're actual people.
1: Yeah, totally. And it's easy to forget when like when IGN have millions and millions of followers and subscribers. Yeah, of course. Like there's there's a lot of power there and there's a lot of like responsibility. And we're aware of that as individuals who contribute to that. But like we're not the ones with those millions and millions of followers. We work for this kind of amazing site that we adore, that like we wanna we wanna be like worthy of those followers as a whole. But like yeah. they're we're all individuals like contributing to that um which is very different to like you know youtubers who they as individuals like have amassed that like that that, all of those followers will be like following them and pouring into them and like that's it's, it's, it's two very different beasts and I feel like um sometimes communities hold up the standard of like say IGN to the like you know like they're a youtuber which is which is not the case
0: yeah uh, to end on a positive note uh, mm. you've worked at a bunch of different outlets freelance and full-time yeah what in your mind sets IGN apart I know there was just the issue where different staff weren't going yeah. to work unless a certain sexual harassment issue resolved and that was heartening yeah, to see definitely. that IGN came together and, and the staff did something about that what else about this team has surprised you in a positive way?
1: I think how audience-focused we are. And I don't mean that, like, everyone's going to say that, aren't they? That like, oh, you know, we know we're really audience-focused and care about the audience. It's it's, the way that IGN does it is I've never experienced another outlet. Like, we'll sit in a brainstorm and we'll come up – we'll be thinking of ideas that are, like, really, really fun that we're like, oh, we'd love to do such-and-such, like – no, like, Far Cry is coming out, and wouldn't it be awesome if we could, like, go to the States and kind of do like a survival training thing and like the wilderness? We could do this video, blah, blah, blah. And then someone will sit up and go, like, yeah, but what's in it for the audience? Like, that would be really no. fun for us to do, but like, you know, what about the viewer at home? And then we'll sit there and go, oh, yeah, that's right. No, like, we need to be doing something for for the audience. And um, every single piece that I've worked on, there's always been conversations of like, like I think there's just a real, there's a real, um, attitude of service like and any any good we talk about how good leaders are ones that serve the people that they're leading and in definitely in terms of um editorial focus and as i guess kind of like a thought leader in, in the games industry i've i've seen every editor that i've spoken to has always wanted to primarily serve the audience first either to make sure that they're entertained or informed and if there are ideas that don't match into that then like you kind of leave pride at the door which is which is really really lovely
0: it's exactly the sense i got when i freelance for them uh and same thing anyone who thinks GameSpot spot nights you know these awful giant places <laughs> like it's it's where they're accepting money for reviews and everyone gets paid all that stuff like it's just not that way like everyone's been really great i've ever worked with at both of those sites and uh i never got paid i never got paid from a publisher <laughs> for a review i did get paid for review so you were correct about that audience but it's because i actually get paid to write game reviews which is the point it's funny of that.
1: that you get paid for the work that yeah, you do <laughs> it's crazy
0: all people think games media do anyway is just play video games for money and sit around all day which i'll tell you what it's only like somewhat the case <laughs> uh last last thing where can people find you on social media and what are you working on right now at ign that you can actually talk about
1: yeah so um you can find me at uh at alicia judge a-l-y-s-i-a such a weird name um on <laughs> just gonna call picture. you the
0: judge from now on it's the way judge.
1: i really really want to do like a review series called the judge's verdict oh I think my god really fun. please do this <laughs> can have like a gavel like at the end where it just like, uh, like a it.
0: powdered wig this would be great
1: exactly um and uh yeah I- i'm currently i'm doing like a load of monster hunter videos at the moment uh so we've just done like a primer on the beta i know you guys say beta but <laughs> I in we call it beta. um and yeah so that like, i'll be moving in on those in the new year we've got some really really exciting projects coming up there of course i can't talk about um but i'm really hoping they come into fruition and then of course the yeah, I'm working on that opinion piece that um, I talked about at the beginning of the podcast on like how we talk about video games and how we can talk about them differently.
0: All right. Perfect. Well, Alicia, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, you were someone who like I knew about a little bit beforehand, but not so much. And even though, again, putting out a call for all women can always be a little weird, we are like, is this what I should be doing? I'm happy I did because I was really looking forward to talking to you. And it's been great getting to know you more. And I, I can't wait for that feature on IGN you mentioned. I think that's a really cool idea.
1: Thank you so much. And thanks so much for having me. Like I, I, And I really do mean it that that call that you put out is awesome. And it's, it's great to see more people doing it. All
0: right. Perfect. Thanks so much. And thanks again to everyone for listening. Hopefully tune back in for the next episode of the 1099.